0: You were in here last week, Uh, you should know we're in a new uh, part of the Bible, a new sermon series has begun. Uh, It's called Life and Faith, and uh, it's really looking at the story of Abraham, and so uh, we are in the book of Genesis. Um, Last week we were in Genesis 12, Uh, today we're going to be in Genesis 15, and that's because uh, this series is a little bit different. Instead of going uh, exactly verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we're kind of hitting some of the highlights of Abraham's life, uh, really kind of getting a picture of his character and how God worked in his life. And so we will end up uh, in chapter 15 today. I want to make sure we're caught up, though, on the events of Abraham's life, and so uh, a quick recap. In chapter 13, we left uh, Abraham, or Abram, as it was called originally, uh, in in Egypt. So we have a map just to remind you where we are in the world and what's going on, and I had great response uh, to my laser pointer last week, and so we're going to use that again. So uh, Abram began over here in Ur. This is where God called him. Uh, He was a pagan, not a worshiper of God, and yet he responded to the voice of God came all the way up to Haran. That's where uh, his father became ill, and so he uh, took some time there, waited till his father passed, and then continued down to the Promised Land. Uh, There was a famine, and so uh, really in a lack of faith, Abram went to Egypt, and there uh, uh, entered into a really deception uh, with Pharaoh. And so uh, at the end of our last uh, time together, chapter 12, he really left Egypt in disgrace, And so uh, entering into chapter 13 and 14, there was an opportunity for him to uh, be faithful again. He came back up to the promised land. And some of the events there were some really high points in Abram's life. Uh, For one thing, he and Lot, uh, he and his nephew Lot, uh, they uh, have had, uh, by this point, a lot of uh, animals, big flocks. So they decided to separate. Really, it was Abram's generosity. He said, you know what, Lot, wherever you want, you you take your spot, I'll go the other way. Uh, Lot decided to settle uh, near Sodom, which... Wasn't a great idea, but that's where he ended up uh, living. And then the next thing that happens is that there's a kind of a small-scale war that breaks out. Uh, Abram and Lot are not really involved in it, uh, but some of the kings uh, from Mesopotamia come down. They're raiding villages. They take Lot captive, and they're really gonna take him back up to Mesopotamia. He'll be gone for good, Uh, but Abram finds out. And so he chases after him. He rescues Lot. It's an amazing uh, sort of mission that he goes on. And on the way back, uh, he, is, uh, he meets Melchizedek, who's a priest king. Uh, he's blessed by him. King Sodom wants to give Abram a whole bunch of money for what he did. Abram very humbly says, no, no, it's, it's fine. I'm just happy to do this. Uh, I want to trust God fully. Really, these couple of chapters are opportunities where we see uh, Abram's faithfulness. We see that he is growing in faithfulness. He's humble. Things are going very, very well. As you come into chapter 15, you would think that for Abram, he's flying high. That, he, that everything is great, that his people around him would have looked at him, they would have said, man, Abram, he really is such a great leader, so humble, so faithful to God. On the outside, everything looked great. But what we find in chapter 15 is that on the inside, everything is not so great. Abram is struggling with a lot of doubts, a lot of concerns. And you may have experienced this in your life, where on the outside, everything looks great. People, you know, would say, man, family's good, job's good, money's good. But on the inside, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of concern, and that's what we find for our our father of faith, that there's a lot of things that are are troubling him, and in this chapter, we see God's response of comfort. God comforts Abram in some really beautiful ways, and in that, it's a testimony to who God is. He really restates his intention to bless Abram, blesses him with his, his presence, and so, with the idea that we're going to see a God of comfort, let's, let's look to our text. It's chapter 15. We're going to read, I'm going to read the whole thing, verses 1 to 21. And uh, I'll warn you, there are some parts in here that are going to be a little uh, confusing, troubling. If you haven't read this text before, uh, there's some parts with these animals that uh, you're going to say, how in the world is that comforting to Abram? Don't worry, we'll get there. But just to uh, kind of get us uh, on the same page. So here is God's word to us this morning, uh, beginning in verse 1. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, "O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these, cut them in half and laid them half each over against the other, but did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites all the ites. Uh, Let's pause in prayer. Lord God, thank you for this word, Lord. Thank you, God, that uh, we come to you, uh, and Lord, you speak to us. And I pray, God, that this morning you would give us all ears to hear what you are saying. I pray, God, that we would see in this text the great comfort you have for Abram, and by extension, your comfort for us. Thank you, God, for uh, your word. Thank you, God, for this time. Help me, Lord, as always. Help me, please, uh, to be clear and to be helpful. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, there are really three ways that God comforts Abram here in this text, and we're going to go through them kind of uh, piece by piece. The first is this, uh, we see here the comfort of God's word. Now at first, uh, it's, it seems like Abram is most anxious because of what has just happened, the, the whole scene with the battles. Um, Abram, as I said, went and kind of rescued Lot from these four kings that were there involved in this, in this war, uh, but The truth is that Abram, he kind of pulled off really a a, sort of a a sneak attack mission. Uh, If you read in the chapters uh, previous, it says he took 318 guys. He didn't have a huge army, just 318 guys. And they went under the cover of night. And they chased after, uh, you know, the the kings who had Lot. And they kind of, through sort of guerrilla warfare tactics, they came, they surprised them. They grabbed Lot and they took off. So it was a successful mission, but you can imagine that Abram might be thinking, You know, what if if they come back after me? He he doesn't really have a big army to protect himself. And so there's some anxiety that would no doubt be in his heart. And we see in uh, verse 1, it seems like God is speaking to these uh, concerns directly. Because God says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. You have this idea that God is saying, you know, don't worry. I will protect you. Look to me for, for protection and help. Even that uh, symbol of a, of, a, of a shield, a military armament. God is saying, I am the one where you will find comfort and protection. And you'd think that, well, that, that kind of answers the question. God's calling Abram to have, you know, faith and to trust him. But what we find is that that's not really the main issue in Abram's heart. Kind of like sometimes, you know, when there's a, where there's a, a kid who's crying and you go to try to comfort him. Looks like maybe, oh, he scraped his knee or something going on. But but he keeps sobbing, and, and maybe as a parent, you're like, what, what, is, what is going on? What's the problem? <gasps> the kids at school are bugging me. And you realize there's some deep, real hurt. That's deep, you know, something that's been bothering them for a while. And that's the real issue. The, the scraped knee or something superficial, that was just an opportunity to, to remember your, your sadness and your concern. That's what we find for Abram. He's really concerned about the fact that God had promised him a, a great nation. Many, many people that would come from him, but he has no child. And also that he would be able to possess this land, but it seems like he has to live in tents forever on it. When is he going to be able to possess it? So this is what he says, verse two and three. We hear really what's on Abram's heart. He says, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. This is not an ideal situation. Eliezer was uh, like, he would sort of handle his affairs like an executor of his, of his estate. So if Abram dies, that's the guy who's going to take over all his money and, it, and his stuff. And in Abram's mind, he's thinking, God is like, is that what you mean? That's how you're going to bless me through Eliezer? That doesn't seem right. And here we see the comfort of God. Really the, the tenderness of God. Because God could have simply rebuked Abram in this moment and said, I, I told you what I will do. We see that elsewhere in the Bible. Do you remember uh, Zechariah in the New Testament? Very similar situation. God comes to him and says, your, your wife Elizabeth is gonna have a child. And Zechariah says, I don't know if you know God, but we're, we're both pretty old. I don't think that's possible. And God renders him mute. That's his rebuke, because he doubted the word of God. But we don't get that here. And I think it's because really in Abram's heart, there, there's a sense that he, that he doesn't totally disbelieve God. He's, he's not mocking God in any way. He's simply saying, God, I, I don't see how this is going to happen. If you remember the man that comes to Jesus in Mark 9, and he says, you know, I want him to help his son. And, and Jesus says, you know, you know, I can. And he sort of questions his faith. The man says, look, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. There, there's a tension in me. And I think we often feel that. Lord, we believe that you're at work. We believe that you say who you are. But I, the circumstances of my life make it really hard for me to see how this is going to work out. And for Abram, he's in that moment. He needs reassurance. And God gives him that. God gives him greater detail about his plans, about how exactly he will make this come to pass. So in verses four and five, it says, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eliezer, shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, and then he said, so shall your offspring be. Man, what a beautiful picture. I mean, if you can just imagine Abram there looking up at the night sky, I mean, there's no, there's no cities nearby. It's just a blanket of stars, billions of stars. And God is saying, that, that's how many kids I'm going to give you. I mean, f- for your ancestry, not all at once. That, that would be a lot. <clears throat> God's saying, that's, that's the, the magnitude of my blessing. <clears throat> that's my plan for you. And it will come through your own son, I mean, this is a beautiful picture. This would be encouraging for us, but also for Abram. If you remember, he was a worshiper of the moon. That was his culture. He was used to looking up at at the sky and and trying to get answers from from gods who wouldn't speak, from celestial bodies, trying to figure out some meaning for his life. And now, when he looks up at the sky, he's able to remember the God who speaks. The God who has, has a power to actually bring this blessing into his life. And I want you to, to look carefully at how it is that this encouragement comes to Abram. There's two times in our text here in these verses where it says this, by the word of the Lord, by the word of God, God comforts Abram. God brings counsel and blessing and and greater clarity by the word of the Lord. And it strikes me that we we don't fully appreciate what we have in this book, that we have God's word and that it speaks to us. I mean, there are times when things get very, very difficult that we tend to go back to the Word of God. When things are are really difficult, and that's a good thing. That's where we should turn. But in every area of our life, we have opportunity to receive the blessing of God. Uh, I heard a story. I don't know if you know the story of Corrie Ten Boom. An amazing uh, story. I have the book here. This is one that you should read uh, called The Hiding Place. It's a story of her life in Holland. Uh, She's a believer there, and uh, during the Nazi occupation, during World War II, and she uh, hides Jews and eventually is caught, her and her sister. I mean, they're, they're in their 60s and they're taken off to prison and then to work camps. They're in one place called Ravensbrook, and it's, I mean, it's just a horrible place. But she's able to smuggle in a Bible. And throughout all of her time, her and her sister Betsy, they, they, they somehow hide this Bible. They have it in this little pouch behind her dress and, and miraculously they get through different checkpoints and And it becomes such a source of help. And I wanted to read to you a passage because I think it it reminds us of what we have in God's word. So this is her, they're in the camps, her and her sister, they would have uh, meetings where they'd simply read from the Bible. And here's what she says. She says, but as the rest of the world grew stranger, one thing became increasingly clear. And that was the reason that the two of us were here. Why others should suffer, we were not shown. As for us, from morning until lights out, whenever we were not in ranks for roll call, our Bible was the center of an ever-widening circle of help and hope. Like waifs clustered around a blazing fire, we gathered about it, holding out our hearts to its warmth and light. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer and more beautiful burned the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Nay. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Sometimes I would slip the Bible from its little sack with hands that shook. So mysterious had it become to me. It was new. It had just been written. I marveled sometimes that the ink was dry. I had believed the Bible always, but reading it now, it had nothing to do with belief It was simply a description of the way things were, of hell and heaven, of how men act and how God acts. See, I'm not sure we have maybe the pressure of events to remind us what it is that we have here. But God has given us the greatest source of comfort that we could ever desire. We have here God's word, which means that every day we have the opportunity to see what it is that God has to say to us. I mean, I'm not sure what kind of rhythm you have in your life. But, but imagine that you're in a time and place where you are feeling, you're just feeling lost in life. You wake up each, each morning and it's difficult to get through the day. What would happen if you had a pattern of simply looking into the Psalms? Imagine that there was a day and you, you flip to Psalm 121. And as you're about to go through your day and, and you were struggling for hope, here's what God would have spoken to you. Psalm 121 says this, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade of your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. Just imagine what that does to your heart as you go through the day and you are reminded that God God doesn't even sleep. He so cares for you. He has such power and grace that he will not allow your your foot to be moved. Just the image of you going out and coming in and God is presiding over all of it. This is what God's word does for us. It reminds us of his character. It reminds us of who we are in relationship to him. And here for Abram, the very same thing is true. That through the word of God, he was reminded of who he is. And reminded of, of the power of God and that he intends to bring great blessing into his life, even if Abram for the moment can't see how that is going to happen. So firstly, we see the comfort of God through his word. But secondly, we see the comfort of God's plan. Now the imagery of the stars would have been very encouraging. I mean, it's a beautiful picture. You would look up and wow, that's, that's impactful. But so too were some of the added details. Abram thought uh, his, you know, all this would come through his uh, Eliezer, his his guy, but God says, no, you're going to have a son. And he says, you're going to have many, many sons. It's going to be an amazing blessing. The clarity of the plan is of greater help for Abram because he wants to know the details. He's trying to look at the circumstances of his life and figure out the blessing. They don't seem to match. And God says, well, let me give you some of the, some of the details. He says that about his uh, offspring, but also about the land. If you look in verses uh, 12 to 16, there's really an answer. Abram says, you know, how am I going to know that I'm going to get this land? And God uh, prophesies about how it is to come. And, and the prophecy is amazing. He gives so many details that we can see come to pass exactly as God says. Uh, here it is. This is verses, uh, really uh, starting in 13. It says, your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. Well, this is a prophecy about the time that God's people spent in Egypt. That, that there's Abraham and then Jacob. And from Jacob, there's 12 sons, uh, including Joseph with the Technicolor dream coat, if you remember. And his sons, sell him in, uh, his brothers, sell him into slavery. And then God's people end up in Egypt because there's another famine. And there, they're at first taken care of. But then eventually there's a new Pharaoh and they're enslaved in Egypt. And this is the story of the Exodus. We know that all of this will come to pass, but here God is giving Abram a glimpse of what is to come. He says that they will be afflicted for 400 years and that's about exactly how long that God's people spend in Egypt. It says that God says he will bring judgment upon the nation and we see that also in the Exodus story. Ten plagues come and and harden Pharaoh's heart and soften Pharaoh's heart and and they really rebuke uh, the, the, the Egyptian people. We see God's power, we see God's deliverance and then it says they shall come out with great possessions and that's also exactly true. The Egyptians are so humbled that when God's people leave, the Israelites leave, they give them all of, their, all of their gold, all of their treasures. This is an amazing window into how it is that God is gonna orchestrate history. We don't often see this. Abram, you can't see this. And so in God's tender comfort, he says, oh, look, I'm gonna tell you what's gonna happen. Now, this is something that we, we don't often get, but here in the pages of scripture, we can see how God's plan will come to fruition. You might be asking, you know, why does it happen this way? Abram might have asked that. God, if you want to encourage me, you know, why doesn't it happen next year or next month? My, my question, you know, when will I get this land? And God says, next month. Abram's like, yes, that's encouraging. That's great. 400 years? How could that be a good thing? Well, we get a bit of a glimpse into the fact that Abram, that what God wants to do is not just about Abram. It's about the grand picture of history all the things that God is working out, we see that he has in his hands every single detail and event in history. Look at verse 16. It says, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, when we read that, it kind of seems like a throwaway verse. Okay, those Amorites, their sin, I guess it's, I'm not sure how that fits in. But in, in the pages of history, we see that what God was doing there was being very, very patient with the Amorites. Uh, They were one of the ites. Remember with all the Canaanites, all those guys? All of them, they didn't honor God. They were a very wicked people. And by wicked, I mean that they they would sacrifice children to their gods. They were devoted to sex and war. Leviticus warns about these people. It lists 12 different types of incest that they are involved in, all sorts of sexual impurity, all of these things. And for hundreds of years, God is patient. God doesn't bring any judgment until the appointed time. Until the time when God's people are to enter the land. You remember the story of Jericho? An amazing story where where, Joshua leads uh, the the armies of God in and there's a city and they, they walk around it seven times. Well, Look what it says just as they're about to, the walls are about to fall down. Joshua 6, 16 and 17. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Now you read that and you think, man, that seems a bit harsh. Like, why do they have to destroy the whole city? Like, couldn't they just send people elsewhere? Well, here we have the answer to what God's been doing. He's been He's been waiting. He's been giving them opportunities to turn from their sin, but they haven't taken it. See, God is long-suffering, patient with those who are in sin, but there is a time where He brings just consequences. And we see the different strands of history come together where God's people, God answers, he says, now's the time, you get the land, but at the very same time, I'm bringing a consequence to the people who have been waiting and waiting and waiting. They won't turn from their sin. See, what we see is that there's a complexity to God's plan that that we can't, we just get a glimpse of and it blows our mind to think of all those events working together for the appointed time, for God's purposes to come to bear, on the pages of history and in the lives of the individuals this is meant to be a comfort to abram abram who's who's looking at the details of his own life and saying lord i don't how is this going to happen for us just think of the things that you're worried about day after day and saying lord i, I don't know how this how is this going to lead to this you say you're going to bless me you say in romans that all things are going to work together for good but god there's these things they're not good at all how is that going to happen and what god is telling us is he, he's not making it up as he goes along. He's not just figuring things out. He's not just trying to cobble together some, you know, purposeful plan. He has a precise reason for every single thing. And in that, he promises our blessing. Now, I'm not sure about you, but a a plan brings comfort. Like if you go on a trip with someone and there's no plan, maybe if you're young, you want to take a road trip or wherever, fine. But for most of us, we want to know, is there a hotel booked? Is there something Planned ahead of time? When there's a plan, there's a lack of anxiety. There's comfort. We can be at peace. We, we know what's happening next. When there's no plan, we get concerned. There's a, there's a cathedral in Spain that, that really testifies to this. Have you heard of this cathedral? It's called La Sagrada Familia. Uh, this is an amazing cathedral. This is the most famous cathedral now in Spain. Uh, People go here, and the the lineup is around the block, three times over, trying to get into this place. Uh, This cathedral was designed by this man, Antony Gaudi. Uh, He was a Catholic, obviously, and he wanted to build a cathedral that that really um, showed the amazing wonder of God's design in nature. And so all of the design elements were very organic. He, He was a genius, and he spent... All of his life, 76 years working on this structure, but it didn't look like that first picture. Uh, It it was barely started when he was 76 years old. Thankfully, though, he had left plans. He had tons of plans. He had drawings and illustrations, all the columns, all the facades, all the sculptures. And so other architects, this was back in the 1920s, they kept working on this building. And it was going great until the Spanish Civil War. See, the Spanish Civil War, uh, people were not very excited about Catholicism. And so they actually came in, some fascist hooligans, they came in and they burned down his studio. All of his plans, all of his molds, all of his designs for this church were gone. And in fact, by the end of the war, 12 people that were involved in the project, they were also killed. And so in the 1930s, this is what it looked like. Um, Just one facade was up, part of the building, and, and they were looking at this thing, at the complexity of the design, they were thinking, how are we ever gonna get this done? They spent years Trying to figure out just a couple of windows, how they would fit into things. They decades went by. Finally, by the 1970s, uh, the building looked like this. They had one other facade up, but there was no roof. There was no interior. They were really felt hopeless. That there was no way that they were going to be able to make this happen. Decades more went by, and finally, someone came along with a computer, and and they used airplane design software. To try to figure out how it is they could design this interior. It took them another two decades to get it done. And this is what the interior looks like. It's just a masterful work of intricacy of design. And the only way that they were able to go forward with things was because they they developed a new plan. Without a plan, they, they just couldn't see how things were going to fit together, but with a plan, they were able to make something that's that's beautiful. And it's the same thing in our lives. That, that building, by the way, they're hoping by 2026 that it's going to be done. That's about 143 years after it started. So the lesson is this, that with a plan, there is, there is comfort. There's assurance that we know where things are going. Without it, we tend to get very, very anxious. Do you believe that God has a plan for your life? Do you believe that he has every single thing in order and that even though you can't see what is to come, that he knows exactly what is to come and in the exact perfect time, he will bring into your life the things that you need, not the things that you think you need, but the things you actually need. See, for Abram, he, he was saying, God, I, I just don't see it. I don't see how you're gonna bring all these, these people. Sarah's getting older, I'm getting older, the land, like how is this ever gonna happen? And God says, Abram, you can trust me. Let me give you a little glimpse into the pages of history and how I am orchestrating every single thing. And you might be wondering, well, Matt, that's great for Abram. But what about me? I mean, where's my plan? Where's my glimpse into my future? And the answer is that there's actually one better thing than trusting the plan of God. And that's trusting God himself. And if you've lived a life of of faith, of of following Jesus, you know that it's in the times of of darkness and waiting that we cling to him more fully. And so there is a plan. We can be sure of that. But our, our job is to trust the one who has written the plan, who is orchestrating all the events and trusting that he will bring everything for our good in the right time. Therein is the comfort of God also. Thirdly, last thing, there is comfort in God's covenant. And here we get to this very interesting uh, scene with these animals. So what's, what's up with this? Um, just to be clear, this is in fact what happened. This isn't metaphor. Uh, God told Abram to get a heifer, which is a young female cow, a female goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And he cut them in half. And then, after Abram went to sleep, God appeared. He appeared. Appeared with two symbols. One, a uh, a smoking fire pot. This is a symbol of purity. That's where they would purify metal. And the other one is a torch, a symbol of of light, where God often manifests himself in terms of light. So you have God himself coming and passing between these animal carcasses that have been torn in two. And you have to think this is not comforting. This is disturbing. Like actually just thinking about it, I'm going to go home and I'm going to be a little bit disturbed. So, how is this helpful? Well, you have to understand, for Abram, this is something that was very familiar. For us, this seems crazy, but this was a ceremony that the people of Abram's region, that they actually did fairly often. Whenever they wanted to seal a treaty, whenever they wanted to seal an agreement, this is what they would do. In Mesopotamia, in Maori, up near where Abram lived, they would get an animal. They would cut him in two, and they would walk between it and what they were saying in that is that if i don't hold up my end of the bargain may i be like this animal they're basically pledging their life and saying that this this treaty this this land deal whatever it is that everyone would come around be a public thing and that everyone would see visually this is the extent of my commitment i'm making a covenant i will do this you know i will do this because my very life is being pledged see for abram this would have been very very comforting He would have looked at this, he would have woken up and his heart would have been filled. This is amazing that God would do this, that God would come and and place himself in this position. Now, I think we're happy that we don't have this custom anymore. I mean, it'd be difficult. Every time you wanted to buy a house, you'd have to go to the pet store. I'll have a puppy and a kitten and we to be, sorry, I just, again, that would be very, very disturbing. That's, we don't have to do that anymore. But we, we do often pledge ourselves. We try to find some way to legitimize our commitment. We have notary public stamp things. We, we sign things in the dotted line. We, with some way to say, look, I'm gonna do what I say I will do. So how is this helpful for us? How is this comforting for us? Well, a couple of important things we see. We see here that God is willing to put his life on the line to bless us. I mean, that's what he's doing here. He's invoking the curse of death upon himself. And saying that this is the extent to which I promise to bless you, Abram. That I will do these things that I said I will do. But secondly, we see here that the entire burden of faithfulness is actually on God. If you notice, Abram isn't invited to pass between the animals. Normally, that's what you would do. Both people would pass between the animals. You both have a part of the deal to uphold. But see, God knows that Abram will never be able to be faithful that we will never be able to be faithful. And so in this strange ceremony, we have a big arrow pointing forward to another act of God, to to the cross, where God doesn't just take on the possibility of death, he takes on death itself. See, this strange ceremony is, is fulfilled. The covenant that's pledged there is fulfilled in the cross, where Jesus says, you can't possibly be obedient. You've tried, you've failed. But I've come to be obedient for you. See, I I take the curse of death upon myself. I've resisted every temptation that you haven't in your sin. And I've gone to the cross, something that I don't deserve. Because my intention, my commitment is to bring the promised blessing into your life. So even in the Old Testament, we see that God in his grand plan had always planned to end up at the cross. That was always how all of this would be fulfilled. And so the the question that this brings to our mind and to our heart is, is do we trust God in that way? Do we know Jesus in a saving way? Have we accessed all the blessings of God through the cross, through our faith in what Jesus had done for us? See, God made a covenant and then he fulfilled it perfectly in Jesus. This brings us everything that we need and we see in Abram the response, the right response Way back in Genesis, Genesis 15, 6, also a part of our text, it says simply this, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him, to him as righteousness. See, what this text reminds us is that God doesn't hold anything back. I mean, in those dark times, which, which you may be in, those, those questions you have of like, how much, how much does God really care if this is happening, and this, and this frustration, and this prayer request, these things that are never going to get figured out, God, the temptation in our heart is, Lord, like, are you even listening? Are you even involved? It seems like you're silent. But here we're reminded that, that God has held nothing back. He has given his very life so that we can be sure that we will have every single blessing that we need. And then the cross is exactly what we get we get the assurance that we'll have life forever. We get the joy that comes from knowing that God is at work, that God's love for us goes even to the point of death. And so here for Abram, it says he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. That word righteousness means the, the blessing of God, the perfection of God, that we are in right standing with God. And it comes not because Abram believed, he didn't earn anything, it simply comes through the conduit of faith. So yes, God is a God of comfort. He comforts us through his word. He comforts us through his plan. And he comforts us through the covenant, through his commitment to bless us. But the calling on our life is to be faithful. Is for us to turn to him again and again, to turn to his word. Say, Lord, I trust that you are gonna speak to me today. To to trust the plan that he has for us. And to ultimately remember that at the cross, we see the evidence of God's faithfulness. And that there is nothing in this world that can separate us from, from his blessing and his love. So in this, I believe God has a word of comfort for us today. My hope is that as you see this, your heart is, is stirred. That your mind is kindled. That you will go away from this thinking, what, what a God we have. What a gracious and comforting and faithful God. And Lord, may you help me to walk in faithfulness so that I might know those truths and I might live them out faithfully to honor you and to bless others. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your your committed love, Lord. Thank you, God, that even in this this ceremony back, this this covenant that you enacted, Lord, we see evidence of your your commitment to us, your love for us. And God, in that, we see that you are working everything out exactly as you have planned. God, I pray for each one here, Lord, if there are things weighing on our hearts, Lord, if there are, are things in our life that we just can't reconcile with the promise of your blessing, I pray, God, that you would help us to, be, to have faith, help us to trust you, help us to experience the comfort of your presence. And I pray, God, for those that, that don't know you in the saving way, God, I pray that this, this text, the, just the idea that this is the extent that you would go to to help your people, God, I pray that this would uh, lead each one of us, especially those who don't know you in a saving way, to have good questions, Lord, to seek you out in this new way. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, that it does comfort us continually. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, bless us again and again as we contemplate it. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.